Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. So this morning, we're starting a bit of a new series over the next three weeks called The Great Questions of Life. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about who is my authority. In the Sunday following, we're going to talk about where am I going, or where's my destiny, or where am I going when I die? These are all big questions. But this morning, we're going to talk about what is my identity. And I kind of preached on this sermon this sermon two months ago, so on my mind, I'm like, oh, what am I going to say? Because I basically said kind of what I wanted to say. But I hope this morning that I have a bit of a, a spin on what I talked about two months ago. And to be honest, most of you probably forgot what I talked about two months ago. So here we go. Identity, I think, is one of the most um, popular topics, I think, in the 21st century right now. It's almost like people in many different countries are experiencing an identity crisis where they're trying to figure out who they are. And this type of question actually hasn't been present for all of human history. It seems to have really come to a really high point recently, and people argue and debate about why that is. Maybe it's because of our lack of Christian culture in society, or a lack of story, or a rise in secularism, or the fact that people are detached from their communities compared to with how they used to be back in the day. There's a whole bunch of reasons why, potentially, we, our world needs to, is lacking the sense of identity. But I agree that identity is really important, and I think the Bible talks about Christian identity in particular as being incredibly important. And what we're going to do today, nice, nice and loud, what we're going to do today is we're going to just look at my favorite, absolute favorite passage in Scripture, and I'm not exaggerating, my absolute favorite passage in Scripture, which was just read this morning. And we're going to try and figure out what is a Christian identity, and how that actually enables us to live the Christian life. So I'm not going to share a story. I'm not going to try and get your attention through any other different illustrations. I'm literally just going to go verse by verse, and I'm going to talk about it. Are you ready? Because I, need, I, need your, I need full attention here. I need full attention because we're going to go through some technical stuff, all right? I'm finishing my master's thesis right now, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that master's thesis within this, all right? Not a PhD. I'm, you know, not, I, don't feel like, I'm, I don't feel like I'm an indentured slave to this, but you know, it's okay. So if we're all together, we're all going to go through this. We're going to figure out what the Christian identity is and how that is actually incredibly applicable to our day-to-day living. So let's go right into it. The first verse is Colossians 3.1, and it says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul is stating that you have been raised with Christ, which assumes something assumes that you were once in a different state. If you've been raised with Christ, then you must have died with Christ at some point. And earlier in chapter 20, 
chapter 2, verse 20, Paul states just that. You have died with Christ. And then he moves in and says, but there's good news. You have been raised with him as well. There's this sense in which we identify with Christ so strongly that it's more than just a symbolic thing where Christ, when he died, that we symbolically die, and when he was literally raised, we are symbolically raised. There's a spiritual reality that's actually changed in us. And when I read this verse, the first thing I think of is Romans 5, 12 through 21. I don't expect you to be able to see those words. What I'm basically encouraging you to do is maybe open up your Bible or your phone and look through it. I just have it up there because what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize what this is. I'm writing my master's thesis on this verse in particular, which is arguably the most pivotal verse in the entire book of Romans. The Romans is a whole big argument that Paul is trying to make. And in this, he is basically presenting the gospel and trying to answer a really intense question, which is, so the gospel, good news, first came to the Jewish people, yet these other people, Gentiles, accepted it. So what, why has God left the Jews alone and gone with the Gentiles? This is like the big question Paul's trying to answer. And this is a really pivotal verse in his entire argument of presenting the gospel. So what Paul states in this verse is that sin and death came into the world first through Adam. Adam disobeyed God, and he wanted something that he shouldn't have wanted. He wanted himself to be king rather than for God to be king. And because of that, death came into the world. Not only physical death, but spiritual death as well. Estrangement and a separation from God. However, Adam, because of his initial disobedience, actually impacted every single one of us. Because he is considered in the Bible as the head or representative of humanity, of this old humanity which is defined by sin, death, and evil. So this is what Paul states at the beginning. However, there's this other person who has come along, Jesus. And Jesus is also characterized as this head and this authority and this representative of this new humanity. So Paul's stating there's this old humanity and there's this new humanity. And Jesus, he was the exact opposite of Adam. Adam disobeyed God, but Jesus, throughout his entire life and culminating on the cross, obeyed God. And in that obedience, he made a way for us, you and I, and the entire world, to no longer identify with Adam and to now transfer our allegiance and our identification over to Jesus. There's a complete transfer where we are no longer a part of this old reality, this old age, this old way of living in Adam, but we are now, as Paul loves to say, in Christ. He is a representative, he is our authority, and through his obedience and what he did on the cross has brought in this new reality. So when the Bible and when in Colossians 3.1 tells us that we have been raised with Christ, what Paul is saying is you have been transferred through the death and resurrection of Jesus from this old life in Adam, you've died, and now your allegiance is transferred over to this new way of living that is found in Jesus. And this is all found within this very first chapter 
verse of Colossians. And this idea of the old and then the new is found all throughout Paul's writings, all throughout. And you pick it up here and there, but in Romans 5, 12 through 21 is where it is its most explicit. This is exactly what Paul is trying to say. Something radical and different has happened. The gospel is not simply just about going to heaven because your sins are forgiven. The good news of Jesus is that he has made available an entirely new reality that you and I, thanks to him, can identify with and live into. Not the old way, not Adam, but in Christ. Colossians 3.2. Are you still with me? It's going to, don't worry, halfway, at the halfway point, we'll breathe, and then we'll get a bit more practical, all right? 3.2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. See, we're not considered dead to sin and alive in Christ to simply live the way we've always lived, which is the way Adam lived. We are considered dead, have died with Christ, and raised to new life so that we can live a new kind of life. And what Paul says is you can't just say, I agree with this whole thing about being in Christ, but live a different way. What he's saying is, if you agree with this new reality, with this new way of living, therefore you need to do exactly this. You need to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. There's a way of living in the world that can be defined as earthly. And earlier, what was read was a whole list of different ways that we can be living earthly lives, which is through gossip, selfish ambition, lust, sexual immorality, covetousness, all these different things. But there's also this other reality of love, of peace, of joy, of self-giving, of all these different things that Paul is basically saying, set your mind on what Christ has made available to you in this new reality. Don't set your mind on things that you used to be identified with in Adam. Instead, you need to set your mind, an active thing, on things that are above. And I'm going to get into this later, but there's real power in actually reminding yourself of your identity and where you are. It's an active thing. 3.3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. See, because of your identification with Christ, our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. Our lives are not hidden in our work in the sense that we find our primary identity in this. Our lives are not hidden in um, our accomplishments. Our lives are not hidden in people's perception of us. Our lives are not hidden in all these different earthly things. These things are not bad in and of themselves. But if we find our rooted identity in these things, then we are not hidden with Christ in God. We're actually hidden in, with Adam in this earthly state. So there's a really important thing where Paul is saying we find our hiddenness, our identity, in the fact that we are in Christ, hidden in Christ. 3-4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him 
in glory. Paul makes explicit what's already been stated. You are not your own, but you are Christ's. When Christ, who is your life, it's hard to misinterpret that phrase. When Christ, who is your life, because of this transfer from the old to the new, that you have died and now been raised with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are not your own anymore. You are his. And this isn't like some dictatorship or some authoritarian person talking down to you. This is a loving God, a loving Father, who wants the best for you. Who wants you to fully embody what it means to be human. Not in an earthly sense, but in a heavenly sense. To fully embody what it means to be made in the image of God. Because Christ is our life. When someone asks you the question, who are you? You know, maybe they ask it like cheeky, like they're mad at you or something. Um, like, who do you think you are? Or maybe they ask it seriously because they don't know who you are. Then you, after reading this verse, you get to say, I'm Christ's. That's who I am. This is what Paul's saying. I am Christ's. You see, this age and this new, this new reality, this new age that Christ has enabled is actually not fully realized, as we can read in the back, then you will also appear with him in glory. See, Paul is stating that something real has happened now. This new reality has come in. You can experience it. But there's going to be a time when Jesus comes again to where the new overwhelms the old completely. The new overwhelms the old, and that you and I will fully and perfectly be able to embody what it means for Christ to be our life in the next age, in the age to come. So there we go. That's my sermon. No, just kidding. All right. I hope you're still with me because we're going to shift gears a little bit. That was a lot. But if there's one thing I just want you to get from that is that there's an old age and there's a new age. One's in Adam. One's in Christ. When we believe and have faith in Jesus... We transfer our allegiance from Adam's headship over to Christ's headship. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And it has massive implications for you and I and how we actually live and even how we see the world around us. Because if we really believe that we are living in a new reality, in a new age, in a new creation in what Christ has brought about, then we see this old age and everyone around us completely differently with the lens of heaven over our eyes. Kind of like these glasses, but if, you know, if the prescription was tuned just right. That is what I want you to think of through reading these verses. However, I think there's a question that I think all of us are asking, and this is where we're going to get really practical. If I'm in Christ and living in this new age, that there's this overlapping, that there's this oldness all around us because we still experience sin, we still experience death, we still experience all these different things, but what Christ has made available, he's made real now. If there is this overlapping of the new and the old, and the new will be fully realized later, then why do I still sin? If the news come in, 
then why do I still struggle with the same things I always struggle with? Why am I always so selfish? Why am I always so self-centered? Why, whenever I see this, I always want to do that? Um, why, why can't I kick some habits that I've just always wanted to kick? If I'm really believing that I'm living in this new age, and I'm really in Christ, and he is my identity, and I am enabled through this to live like heaven is on earth now, but in my heart, why do I still struggle with sin? Does this mean that I have not really died to sin and been raised with Christ? This is where the Bible gets into a little bit of gray area because Paul is incredibly optimistic of what the gospel can do in our hearts. He is incredibly optimistic, but he's not, um, he's not devoid of realism. He's also realistic. What he would argue is, yeah, there's this overlapping of the old Adam and then the new Christ, and we find our identification in Christ. However, there is still this, this physical body that we live in that has habits from the old way of living that carry its way through into the new. Until Jesus comes again and makes everything completely new, we still live in this massive tension of desiring the new, desiring Christ, desiring heaven on earth, yet still occasionally living like we're Adam. And there's this tension. But one thing I absolutely love about this verse, and this is the real reason why I love this passage, is within this passage of identity, which I think this entire passage is talking about, Paul tells us how we conquer the old habits and the old Adam that is still residual and still hanging on at our heels. He tells us how to conquer it. And we find it in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1, right at the very beginning. He says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, or set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. This isn't a formula, but Paul's realistic. He knows, he's stating this, because he knows that even though we're in Christ, the old wants to creep up again. The old wants to overcome the new. But what he is saying is the Christian life is an active life. It's a life that's proactive because there's a battle that's going on for our mind and our hearts where the old wants to creep in but the new wants to overcome. And Paul's saying that we need to be on guard, almost like we're warriors, almost like we're, we're soldiers in battle and we're in the woods or in the bush and the enemy is all around us and we always have to be alert and ready. And Paul is saying the way we begin to reform the old into the new, the residual old into the new, is through actively setting our mind on things above, not on earthly things. It is literally as simple as that. It is dwelling on, in an active, intentional, real sense, what Christ has made available to you and I. Dwelling on it, praying about it, seeking God, connecting with God, knowing God, not just praying once in a while, but being diligent in your prayer. Not reading the Bible once in a while, but being diligent in renewing your mind through receiving the truth of the Bible. So, um, there's a quote I want to read to you from N.T. Wright. Um, some of you might know who this is. He's a prominent New Testament scholar. That's what he looks like. He's from England. Um, he says this, Someone who truly understands who he or she is in Christ is further along the road 
of genuine holiness than someone who is who in confusion anxiously imagines that the new life is the result rather than the starting point of the daily battle with temptation. That sounds a bit confusing, so let me just rephrase it a bit. What he's saying is this verse in Colossians, this passage in Colossians, is all about identity. A lot of us think that in order to claim an identity, we need to act it out first, and then we can claim it for ourselves. So, for example, if I'm running, I don't want to, you wouldn't call yourself a runner if you've never run before. You, gotta, you call yourself a runner after you've run before. But this is not what uh, N.T. Wright's saying. What he's saying is, what this verse makes explicit, is the identity comes first, and then the behavior follows. It's not the other way around. If it's the other way around, we get legalistic, and we're trying to earn this identity and this status. But N.T. Wright is saying that the verse is saying, if we know who we are, and we embrace that, and we set our mind on things above it, and fully um, dwell on that, and fully think of what the implications are, the fact that we were in the old, and we're now in the new, then, and only then, we actually begin to actually make ground on the battle of giving into temptation, make ground on the battle of sin in our life. To be completely honest and transparent, and uh, yeah, probably over holiday, I forgot that I was a Christian. I think we've all experienced this. I'll, I'll elaborate. You know, you're out of your normal routine of life, and then you go on holiday, or you go to this place or that place or whatever, and there's a new pattern. And then you just you forget to read your Bible and pray one day. You forget to think of Jesus the entire day. And then another day rolls around, and you don't think of Jesus, and you don't think of God. And you don't think of this new reality. You don't think of um, praying for people. And I'm a little bit ashamed to say that, but I fell into that way of just going through the motions and just really relaxing. And it was about day three or day four of holiday where I was thinking, I, haven't had not, I have not had one single thought about Jesus in four days. What just happened? Because I didn't know what was happening. I was kind of like on autopilot. And the way I kind of think about it is this old self that is clinging onto my heel, got up to my thigh and got up to my waist, and I almost like went into default mode of what it was like before Christ, where I wasn't thinking of him at all. And that was a bit of a wake-up call because I know that I have no ability or power to live in this new reality unless I'm reminding myself every single day of this new reality, of Jesus, through all these things that I mentioned, Bible reading, prayer, fellowship with others. Um, so what I did was I, was, I was quite disturbed by this, and I wrote down a statement. I called it an identity statement. And in my morning devotions, I read this. I've been doing it for the past uh, two weeks. I read this statement just to remind myself every morning of my identity in Christ, of this new reality, because I don't want to go another day or a few days and not think of Jesus. Some of you might be like, I can't believe, Joey, you didn't think about Jesus in four days. And others of you are thinking, yeah, no, I've done that before. You know? I, you know I don't care. You can judge me. It's all right. But this is the statement. And I'll read it slowly. You, don't, you can steal it if you want, or you can write your own. 
Don't know if you can read that. Squint a little bit. I was born in Adam and was living according to his ways for myself and not for God. Jesus came into the world and made available a new reality of heaven through his death and resurrection, defeating the old reality of sin and death initiated by Adam. Through this free gift of grace, Jesus invites me into this new reality through faith and trust in him. Through my baptism, I died with Christ and I'm risen to new life with him. I am now called to live in this new reality while still surrounded by the old. I am a citizen of this new reality, living in a foreign old reality. The old reality of Adam is ruled by Satan. The new reality is ruled by King Jesus, and its currency is love. I am an ambassador of this new reality to those still living in the old. I am called to display love and point people to the king of the new reality. I am enabled to continue living in this new reality through the power of the Holy Spirit. True, the true source of this power is found in staying connected to Jesus through spending time with him in worship and prayer. I am called to renew my mind through renewing myself of this new reality, reminding myself of this new reality through reading the Bible daily. One day, Jesus will come again, and this new reality will overcome and overwhelm the old. Until then, I'm called to live an uncomfortable life in the old with my allegiance pledged to the new. When I read that statement every morning for a couple weeks, it was quite refreshing how when I would go out into the world about my normal everyday life, I would have a new lens on that I wouldn't have. I've made it explicit what Paul's talking about that has actually happened if you identify with Christ in your life. And when I would go into pack and save, I would look at people differently. I would actually start to notice who's sad and who's happy, which is a bit odd. I would actually think of maybe I should quickly pray for that person because they don't look like they're having a good day. They won't know I'm praying for them, but I prayed for them. Or maybe um, I'm in a difficult conversation with someone because uh, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Well, maybe I, if I'm a part of this new reality where love is the currency, then I need to primarily approach every situation with love rather than with condemnation. You, know, you see how reminding yourself, setting your mind on things above and not on things in the earth, which is exactly what Paul is stating, this new reality actually changes how we live our day-to-day life. It's, in a sense, Paul is talking about like Christian mindfulness, being mindful of what Jesus has done in your life and being mindful of it every single day. And it's an active thing that you and I need to do because the old is clinging at the heel. And the way you push the old off is through reminding yourself of the new. And this is why Colossians 1 through 4 is my favorite verse, is because it completely encompasses what the gospel is, but also tells us how to live out the good news of Jesus in our every single day life. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up um, right now. And we're going to a time of engaging prayer. And 
you can come to the, the front and pray for whatever it might be on your mind, whether it's a family member or a friend or something you're going through. But also invite a, a specific invitation today where if you need reminding, whether for the first time or for another time of many, of whose you are, of your identity, of how Jesus has brought you from the old and into the new, and you want to live into this new reality that Jesus made available for us, I'm just going to invite you to come to the front and just pray to him. Because that's basically what prayer is. It's reminding ourselves of whose we are and the reality that we're living in. We're living in a reality where God is Lord, where Jesus is Lord, and that the new reality that Jesus has enabled is actually available to us right now. So come to the front as we sing this first song if you would like engaging prayer.